Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So God, we want to thank you for walking us a little bit of a journey, Lord, for bringing us today in our series where we can be thinking about the fire and the introduction of Jesus to the world. Thank you for walking us through the wilderness time over the last few weeks. And Lord, as we uh, embark on our next process of Lent towards Easter, Lord, would you be with us? Would you be close to us? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So we've spent three weeks, if you've been around, if you haven't been around, doesn't matter, on the series already that Calvin so brilliantly put together that we call Wild and Fire. Uh, Wild was the wilderness and we we went there for three weeks with Jesus, with Moses and with Israel, I guess, in the intertestamental period. And then we've been producing on a Wednesday, um, comes out each Wednesday morning, Fran and Calvin between them have been um, producing a a, a wee podcast um, for us to go a little deeper in that process. So if you haven't been listening to those, you can certainly catch up day by day and you'll you'll be virtually up to date by this Wednesday when it comes up. And now for the next four Sundays, plus Good Friday thrown in, we're doing five messages um, leading up to and including Easter that we're calling Fire. And we're pretty excited about these because it, it, it introduces us to Jesus and all of the things that Jesus was doing. We're going to enter something of the experience of the disciples um, growing together, encountering Jesus. And we're going to understand a little of both the divinity and the humanity of Christ. That's our, that's our you know, it's easy to say, harder to do, but that's something of our mission as we go through this fire series, all reaching some sort of a crescendo on Good Friday when we have a 5 o'clock service, so a 5 p.m. service on Good Friday, and Easter Sunday when we have a one-only 10 o'clock service. They'll be hour-long services. So 5 o'clock Good Friday, 10 o'clock Easter Sunday, um, you know, obviously crucifixion Good Friday, glorious resurrection Easter Sunday. We'll be celebrating those things. So mark those in your diaries. Um, it will be a wonderful time. And so as we, um, as we sort of think these things through, um, and as we've moved out of the wilderness, there was a picture that came to my mind, um, and uh, it's this picture here, which is a pretty famous picture in New Zealand photography. A guy called Brian Brake took this picture in 1960. I think it holds up pretty well. It's called Monsoon Girl. A monsoon girl was, a, was a, a picture that was taken with the idea of somehow encapsulating at the end of a long dry, at the end of a time of, um, I don't know, struggle, the arrival of the first rains, the arrival of, of a change that's going to take it from brown to green, that's going to take it from dry to, to well watered. This is an incredible thing, and I've been thinking quite a lot about that picture, particularly since last week when Calvin talked about that dry 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was a dry period, wasn't it, as we explored. And then, in biblical terms, or in terms of our scriptures, we open the New Testament and we turn to John chapter 1. 
and that's where we're going to we're going to live there today. Maybe we'll live there this week. I'd love you to grab your phones, open it. We're going to be working relatively slowly through the first 17 verses of John chapter one. Before we do that, I, you know, kind of a little bit of information, a little bit setting the scene. Um, Eight years ago, 2001, I've shared this, 2011, sorry, I've shared the story before, but I'm going to touch on it as we go through. I went on a, a seven-day silent retreat, and in the silent retreat, I read on the first couple of days Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and I felt like it didn't stimulate me. I felt like it, I really struggled in it. And then I turned to John chapter 1, and I was arrested. I'm going to share something of that story as I have before. I was arrested by John chapter 1. And so I say that as a little preface before we get into it because I kind of feel a little nervous and protective of John chapter 1. And I sort of want to say, I hope you like it. I hope, um, I hope this is going to do something for you. Maybe not the same as for me because I've been on an eight-year journey ever since then. But I hope you like I feel a little bit like I've come back from holiday and I'm showing you my holiday snaps and I'm hoping you're going to enjoy my holiday as much as, as, uh, as I did. And um, I'm hoping I don't see any disappointment in your eyes as I read this thing because this has transformed my life. I hope that will rub off in some way as we go through today. So rather slowly, we're going to read from John chapter 1. And it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything was made that was made. It's an incredible thought. When you read the Gospel of Mark, he introduces Jesus as an adult human, um, as the man from Nazareth. When you read the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, they introduce Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and those are the genealogies that take you through. When you read the Gospel of John, he pushes the account of Jesus back to the beginning, before the beginning, if we can conceptualize that, before anything else was created, he was. Jesus was. Jesus was there. The divine logos, we, we, we use as word, was not only with God in the beginning, but he was God in the beginning. And without him, without him, nothing was made. This is terribly important. This is a really significant theological moment that John is announcing, that God has arrived here on earth, um, that Jesus pre-existed with God, that Jesus was God, that Jesus is God. William Barclay, the commentator, says he's of the same character and quality and essence and being as God. You can scarcely overstate the theological impact of John 1, 1 to 3. This is a game changer. This is groundbreaking news that Jesus has arrived on our scene. John goes on. In him was life. This is Jesus. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life. The light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Life and light. Life and light. If you go into John and you read about Jesus, you're going to come across life and light consistently. 36 times in John, um, uh, John will talk about life. And often the little word eternal goes on the front of that life. It's not always, but often it's eternal life, eternal life. This Jesus has, has paved the way 
for for a life that's more than more than I don't know just just eat drink live 70 years or whatever it is and die but eternal life is somehow connecting with the, the eternity of before creation right through to the eternity of life somehow in there is in this form this Jesus who has just come to us and been with us in light which darkness can never overcome and we find that he's the light of the world and come to disperse darkness this is amazing news that we are being introduced to by John he goes on, there was a man sent from, John, from God whose name was John, different John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, to tell us about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist is really important here. After a gap of 400 years, no prophetic utterances, no you know, new news coming from God, the last, if you like, Old Testament prophet wanders out of the desert, dressed in camel skins, eating uh, a new deal that's about to come, and I want to point you to him. This is important as we go through the gospel. He was not the light, but he took great pains to say, I have, I have good news for you. I want to share this. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. This is the significant thing that I'm announcing. John the Baptist is important in the whole story. The true light, John, the, the, the writer goes on, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. And so I'm in this retreat, silent retreat, day three, not very happy with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, read John. And I get to this verse, this passage, and I start to weep, as you would, to speak to you out of something like that. And I think of Israel, you know, kind of made by God and created and not recognizing. And I think of the world, you know, kind of who Jesus came to, but not recognizing him, taking him to the cross, which is where we go through this Lent season through to Easter, isn't it? And then, because you can't just think about it as a sort of historic kind of bit of writing, I think of myself and the number of times that I haven't noticed him, I haven't taken any notice, and he came to me, to, to his own, and I didn't recognize him, and I'm aware of the fact that it's not Israel at all, and it's not the world at all, but it's me who he's come to and is invited into relationship with, and I cry, and I don't know why, and I cry today, eight years later, I'm no better with it, because I, I don't know why, because it's just unbelievably profound that this God has become here for me. I, I, I believe, uh, the only explanation I can have is I feel like I sensed something of the desolations, the only word I can come up with, that God felt to go to that which he had created, and that which he had created didn't even recognize him when he turned up supposedly looking out for him. But then, you know, kind of as the Bible can, you know, one verse brings you to tears, the next verse offers you hope. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, what did he give you the right to become? Children of God. Children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. We understand biology, don't we? We understand how a child's created. We understand how a child's born. We were all in that process and we were all born. None of that, but born of God. 
All of a sudden, there's something more than that. There's something more than just life. But, but born of God, this is why Jesus is here. And it's a take your breath away moment, I think. You know, verse 11 is desolation. Verse 12 and 13 surely is joy and delight. The shock that I felt that, that, that we'd recognize, we didn't recognize him. I didn't recognize him. I was overcome by the marvel that if I invite him and recognize him today, then, then I'm a child of God. You know, one by God, all of this makes sense. It's not a historic thing at all. And so the privilege of being a child of God is the highest privilege, I guess, that we can ever get. And we become heirs of God and sort of developed in the epistles, you know, kind of co-heirs Christ that says those sorts of things, full family privileges that we get along the way. He goes on, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in a sense, this is the, this is the I don't know, the word, the words that just bring it all together. It's the centerpiece, if you like, of this, of this first 17 or 18 verses. And as the gospel unfolds, we will see these things happen. We'll see the glory of God revealed, yes, in signs and miracles. We'll, we'll, we'll see it revealed in, this, in a sinless life live. We'll see it revealed in the greatest act of love given to humanity, which is the story of Easter, which we will go deep into as we head towards Easter. The word became flesh. It's a Greek word, sarx. It's really interesting. It's, it's translated into English, if anything, indulgent flesh. Jesus became indulgent flesh. You say, well, surely he didn't sin. No, of course he didn't sin, but he became us like us to the degree that he became flesh just like us, although he didn't sin. I mean, it's quite a powerful thing. It's not sort of wholly rarefied flesh. It's, it's flesh like us. Um, the word dwelt is the Greek word eskenosin. It's like the same word for tabernacle. And so, you know, in the, in the, in the desert, they would go to the tabernacle and there would be God. In, the, in Jerusalem, after Solomon, they would go to the temple and there would be God. And Jesus comes and all of a sudden, where is God? God is among us. You know, he's not there, but he's among us. He's... He, you know, he's here. He's among us. He lives with us. He's, he's come to be with us. This is good news, surely. This is amazing news. The, the word becoming flesh is the peak, really, of God's revelation of himself. The writer to Hebrews will say in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, he said, in, in, in times past, God spoke through the prophets. Now he speaks through his own dear son. We get introduced to this Jesus and so God becomes visible and tangible. God becomes not only God, but becomes man, human. God becomes one of us. Something's changed. You know, Moses, he wanted to see the glory of God. God said, no, nobody can see my glory or they'll die. And then all of a sudden, I'm sure it's God's plan, but all of a sudden we have Jesus in our midst. We not only see his glory, but we see his face. We get to meet him. We get to meet him face to face. He walks around. He feels what we feel. And Jesus himself would say later in John, he who has seen me, he who has seen the Son, has seen the Father. We've seen God. When we see Jesus, we've seen God. John bore witness about him. John the Baptist again. He cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we've all received Grace upon grace. I love the sense, you know, coming to the end of that passage as I'm kind of being undone in my little room, you know, on this, at this retreat. So like I love the sense of grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. I read somebody this week, somebody said, you know, God's grace is not dished out by a teaspoon. 
God's grace is dished out by like waves on the beach, wave upon wave of grace upon grace, wave upon wave, grace upon grace. You know, you go to, you know, kind of your favorite beach and you'll see the waves come in and you know tomorrow there are going to be more waves and the next going to be more waves. And so it has been for millennia. And that is like the grace of God offered to all of us. It's an incredible thing, the scandal of grace. And then we finish of the scriptures that we have for the law was given through Moses. Grace, grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. I was, I was thinking about this whole law thing because we still get hung up on the law, I think, quite often. I was thinking about it. Paul uh, says in, in Galatians, he says, you know, the law was like a tutor which kept us in line, you know, kind of taught us various things. He says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for we are children of God through faith in Christ. All of a sudden, something has changed along the way. I couldn't help thinking about, you know, those days where you've left school and then you go back and you're allowed to call your teacher by the first name. It's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like you can, you can all of a sudden, it's like, oh, should I really be looking in your eye? Should I really be calling you by the first name? And it's like, God has given us this invitation to be in that sort of relationship. And so I got undone by this overpowering reality eight years ago of these scriptures of who it was. And, and you, you, you go in retreats like that and you go to a... Um, spiritual director and see a spiritual director I'm talking to my spiritual director and I, I'm saying I don't know why this is happening to me you know I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty repressed sort of individual I don't usually cry and so and, and, then, and, and then it was just like a spark she didn't say anything but it's like a spark I said do you think that God is inviting me to a John who's writing not John the Baptist but a John who's writing relationship with Jesus John you know kind of lying back on Jesus' chest John the beloved do you think he's inviting me to a relationship like that? And, and she seemed to say yes, and it just seemed like God had spoken. And eight years later, I, I, I don't know whether I've changed or not, but, I, but I've tried, I've, I've walked in that thing. It's changed my life. John 1, 1 to 17, 1 to 18 is incredible. And so we've called this first fire of the fire series, we've called it Ignite. With the idea, God wants to ignite us, you know, day by day. Even in the wilderness, to, to go back to those other three weeks, He wants to invite us, uh, to ignite us, to be with us. Even in the mundane, you know, the reality is a lot of like, you know, I've never had another experience in eight years like that. It's taken me through to work it out. But even in the mundane, you know, get up, go to work, go home, all of that sort of thing, go to school, whatever it might be. He wants to ignite us, ignite us by being with us as we walk towards Him, all of those sorts of things. And every now and then he wants to arrest us. He wants to meet us. He wants to make our life like it's never been the same. We can't manufacture a moment. We can't sort of say, oh, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to go and have a powerful encounter with Jesus. We can't do that. I don't think. But what I've learned is that we can limit the opportunity to have a powerful encounter with Jesus. I think busyness is a, just a curse of our lives because it's really hard to to have an encounter with Jesus when you're just so busy that you could never hear even if he wanted to speak. I think it's something that we need to think about if we want to have these John-type encounters with Jesus. Uh, I think sin, you know, is, a, is a, a crippling blow to our ability to have an encounter with Jesus. 
You know, because we're far from him when we're, when we're not doing the things that, that we know that we probably should do. You know, noisiness probably uh, prevents us an encounter with Jesus. You know, go back to... Um, I might have that yeah, in the wrong place. Go back to the Brian Brake photo, 1960. It, um, it still holds up really well, except the story of the photo is really interesting. It's a fake. It's actually not a an Indian woman going out into the, into the first drops of the, of the monsoon. It was set up in a hotel in India using an Indian woman actor. Um, and there was a guy on a ladder with a, a, um, a watering can <laughs> who tipped all of that out. It's one of the most famous New Zealand photos. And it was a fake. And I think about that whole thing and I think... The invitation of being ignited is to walk past the whole fake thing. Not, not, as, a, you know, not as a condemnation, but as a, an invitation to a real monsoon, a real rain, a real ignition of our life and our faith and who and what we are. You know, sometimes it just looks like, it's almost like I'm there in Delhi or wherever it is and, you know, see the rains and... All of those sorts of things, except it's all made up. But Jesus invites us to a real relationship with him, which is just an incredible thought over the way. So God's causing us or inviting us to be ignited. What's ignited is essentially set on fire, something that's lit. Because a candle isn't really a candle until somebody comes along and lights it. You know, kind of a candle, I don't know, you might be into wax or something and wicks. It's like, man, that's an amazing candle. But it's not really a candle until there is the hand of someone or something that comes along and it invites us to show and to glow and to, and to, and to burn. That's the invitation of God, I think, along the way. I've been away this weekend doing a, an Enneagram training thing or workshop and um, and it, and it took place in a Catholic church. It's really interesting being in a Catholic church because, because they have lots of different things on the wall, as you can imagine. One of the things that t- caught my eye was um, it was a, um, a, an invitation for people training for their First Communion. First Communion, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? First Communion, we, we do Communion pretty casually. We're going to do Communion as we conclude our service today. We do it pretty casually and, you know, then the kids come in and drink all of the rest of it and all of that sort of thing. We eat the bread or we throw it out or something like that. That's kind of our thing. I don't think that's a, that's a big, big deal, although some do. But an invitation to your first communion or your first communion. So a little bit of instruction. What are we doing here? We're, we're relating to connecting with Jesus who came. Actually, I want to... <laughs> Somebody was thirsty. <laughs> I pick a worship team member or a kid. <laughs> Something like that. Whoever you are, you're not allowed another one. Grace upon grace. Upon grace. Wave upon wave of grace upon grace. Thank you, friend. I knew that. It was my next line. It's down here. Down here. <laughs> I had a lovely first communion with Nathan and Genevieve's son, Hugo, on the beach at at Tampakari when we were away at the beginning of the month. So we, some, many of you were there, of course, in you know, Sunrise Communion. It was an amazing setting, wasn't it? 
And, um, and you know, I sort of said, you know, everybody get into, your, get into little groups. Everybody abandoned me. I'm standing there like, a, like an idiot. And then Nathan walks, uh, not Nathan, um, Hugo walks forward. And I say to him, hey, Hugo, how are you going? Do you want to have communion? He's kind of looking at the drunk. He obviously wants to have communion. I say, have you ever had communion before? He says, no. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't know what to do. Because what if his mum and dad want to be there? I want to coach them through it or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. It just seems the right thing to do. And there and then we prayed and invited the Spirit of God to be there. And I don't know whether it was powerful or meaningful or will be for Hugo as life goes on, but it was powerful and meaningful in me as life goes on of this idea of Jesus introducing himself to somebody in a whole brand new way for the first time. I just think it was amazing. And I felt like God said to me yesterday that maybe there would be some people here today who we could invite to have a first communion. It's perhaps unlikely to be the first communion, but a first communion in such a way that they can come back to the God who wants to light the fire, ignite their lives to move on. I can't promise you a, a tearful session in a room at a, at a retreat in 2011 or anything like that, but I can promise you that as we walk towards him, that he is still among us, that he's still inviting, that he's still coming to us. That is who and what we are. I think it's a, a very powerful thing. And so in a few minutes when we have communion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask maybe some people might like to come up first and, as it were, make a, make a I, I don't know, make a statement that they want to follow Jesus in a whole new way and we will have communion together and then we'll all have communion in general terms. So God ignites. He loves us so much that he sends his son. John 3.16, most famous verse, God loved the world so much he sent his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You probably know that. But I've been thinking a little beyond that because I think he also ignites us. So here's a statement that probably we won't have any problem with. Jesus was the incarnation. Incarnation basically means God becoming human, God becoming flesh. Jesus was the incarnation. If you're in church, you probably believe that, more or less believe that. You may not fully understand that. Um, and, and who can? But you probably believe that. I've been thinking, though, toying with this idea during the week that Jesus not only was the incarnation, but he is the incarnation. And the thing that has really grabbed me this week as we've led up to you know, fire, um, as we've led up to communion, is that I wonder, and I think, I think I believe this, I wonder if we are an incarnation through to today. I'm sure that that's the case. And I use careful language, and, not the, incarnation, lowercase i. But right at the moment, Jesus invites us not only to be lit by him, but to light. And it's almost like, you know, a candle alone has an incredible, I don't know, ability to dispel darkness, to go back into John 1, or, to, or for things to happen or whatever. But what if a candle lights a candle? And that's not necessarily, you know, kind of bringing someone to their first communion or anything, but it's, it's showing love, it's showing grace. grace upon grace. It's being the people, it's being the church, it's being the presence of God. I've been to the mosque twice in the last 10 days, never been, oh, on, on, when I've been a tourist, I've been to a mosque, which is kind of pretty fascinating, but been to a mosque twice because of events that we all know in Christchurch in the last 10 days. So the first time I went, we went Fran came and Caroline DeVette came and, 
and um, you know they've got their heads covered and stuff like that and we go to this thing on the first Friday after the, after the terrorist attacks and we go to be and, I, and, I'm, and I'm kind of nervous because there's a sense where I, I don't know what you guys might think about me going to the mosque there's a certain nervousness in me and so I'm going there but with a sense of this is the right place for me to be today and then I go there and it's like, at the end of that thing, it's like, uh, not in a callous sense, but I don't care in the end what you guys think because I, I had this incredible sense of being the presence of Jesus in that place. Not in an evangelistic, I'm going to win the Muslims of New Zealand sort of way, but in a love, I'm going to represent, I'm going to be an incarnation of Jesus in this place today. Fran and I went, we were able to five minutes to meet the imam there uh, last Thursday and we gave the scroll that we all have our hands on or whoever was here two weeks ago and we gave it to them as a, as a, a love uh, and a blessing from Shaw Vineyard and the imam was, was grateful and warm and responded and accepted that. We were, I believe, an, an incarnation of Jesus. And so in our workplace tomorrow or wherever we are, I think God who was in the beginning, you know, Jesus who was there at creation, Jesus who created, and then Jesus who came to live and dwell among us and continues to live and dwell among us will take what we are today, where we're going today and who we are today, and he wants us to be an incarnation of him as we go into the world today, that seems to me how to summarise John 1, 1 to 17. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.